Okay, good evening, brothers and sisters in the faith, and welcome to another episode of the Bible History Project. Before we proceed, let us all stand for our opening prayer. Almighty and merciful God in heaven, thank you so much, O Father, because you sustain and bless your people every day in our life. We can truly count on you, O God, to give us what we need. Father, we will study your holy words as we do so, we will look for your message, especially your unique message to each and every one of us through the power of your holy scriptures. Help us to learn from you, O God, and most of all, to live and uphold a Christian way of life. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we worship you as well. May you be alive in our hearts. May you transform us from the inside out that we can be more and more like you each day, and so be fully prepared for your second advent. O God, be with us in our study. By sending forth your Holy Spirit, may you please forgive completely our sins, that we can all be partakers of your divine mercy today. We ask and beg everything, O Father, in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Welcome all for, to our Bible study. We're almost finished with the book of Genesis. How many here know how many chapters there are in the book of Genesis? It's actually a very long book, the longest book in the whole Bible, if I'm not mistaken. How many here know what, how many chapters there are in the book of Genesis? Anyone here? 50 chapters. Today we're going to study 44 and 45. Wow. That tells you we're getting closer and closer closer to the finish line of the book of Genesis. But it's only the first book of the entire Bible. How many books in the entire Bible? 66. So we're going to complete Genesis, hopefully God willing, before the end of the year, perhaps way before the end of the year. So we left off last week with Joseph and the reunion, right? And we saw how Joseph was setting everything up, orchestrating the events, which led to him getting to know his brothers. And so we left off with them having a special dinner. They had a feast together. And after the feast, they were given all the grain and food that they want. So they're on their way back to their father to, to give them the grain and the food that Canaan needs or their family needs. So on their way there, what does Joseph instruct his servants to do? Genesis 44, 1 down to 2, when his brothers were ready to leave, Joseph gave these instructions to his palace manager. Fill each of their sacks with as much grain as they can carry and put each man's money back into his sack. Then put my personal silver cup at the top of the youngest brother's sack along with the money for his grain. So the manager did as Joseph instructed him. So they're on their way back to Canaan to deliver the food to Jacob so they can have something to eat during the famine. All right. On their way there, Joseph gives a very special and secret instruction. What was that? He said to his manager, fill up their sacks with much grain and put my personal silver cup at the top of the youngest brother's Sack. Who is that youngest brother? Benjamin. I wonder what Joseph is up to. Now, what is that silver cup? Back in those days, especially in Egypt, they had what, what is called the divination cup. 
It is what they use to try and predict the future. However, Joseph, he relies on something else to predict the future. What is that? The power of our almighty God. He just was using this silver cup to show to the brothers that he has reached a place of authority and honor because not everyone can obtain that silver cup. He had that silver cup, and this was important to the Egyptians. And so he had that, told his manager, hey, put this secretly into the sack of Benjamin. Why? What was he up to? Genesis 44, 3 down to 5, the, bro the brothers were up at dawn and were sent on their journey with their loaded donkeys. But when they had gone only a short distance and were barely out of the city, Joseph said to his palace manager, Chase after them and stop them. When you catch up with them, ask them, why have you repaid my kindness with such evil? Why have you stolen my master's silver cup, which he uses to predict the future? What a wicked thing you have done. So what was the plan of Joseph? He was actually planting the silver cup into the bag or the sack of Benjamin and then accuse him of stealing it. What a cruel man this Joseph guy is, you're probably thinking. But you know, Joseph is up to something. One thing for sure, Joseph loves his brothers. That's why he wept over them. He is doing something and he has a strategy because what he wants is to develop his brothers. And I believe this ploy was not just Joseph's plan, it was God's plan through Joseph. Why? Next slide, please. I believe Joseph's treatment of his brothers was actually an act of tough love and kindness, not cruelty. Why? He wanted not only to forgive his brothers, but also to restore them to fellowship. This would take more than external change. For us, we're kind of used to external change, but oftentimes if we want transformation, we need to work on the inside, right? To develop from the inside out. It would also demand an inward brokenness. Joseph has forgiven his brothers, for he does not repay in kind, but he also moves beyond mere pardon. These brothers need more than pardon. What do they need? They need healing. Joseph is bringing healing and an opportunity for redemption for his brothers. If you really love someone, they need more than pardon. They need healing. They need to be changed. What they need is renewal. So Joseph sets this up so that his brothers can find that path to redemption. Why? Because when it comes to God and his people, what God wants, next slide, is not immediate reconciliation. What does he want? He wants deep transformation. And this can only begin through the process of brokenness and restoration. And so Joseph was taking them to the path of redemption and restoration. Because when you think about our life, when does deep transformation usually happen? Let's read the book of 2 Corinthians 12, 8 down to 10, three times. I prayed to the Lord about this and asked him to take it away. Let's pause for a while. Who's the one speaking here? Who's the one speaking there? He wrote to the Corinthians, Apostle Paul, right? Apostle Paul was in deep anguish. And so three times he prayed to the Lord about 
this anguish, this thorn in the flesh, and ask him to take it away. But his answer was, my grace is all you need, for my power is greatest when you are weak. I am most happy then to be proud of my weaknesses in order to feel the protection of Christ's power over me. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, for God to do deep work and transformation in our life, we need to first be placed in a position of weakness. You see, what God is doing is performing spiritual surgery. That's a painful process. However, it's much better than simply taking an aspirin, right? What God is doing is doing deep work in our life. This is how he transforms his people. We studied this in our previous Bible study. And so when the palace manager catches up with uh, the brothers, what happened? Genesis 44, 6 down to 9. When the palace manager caught up with the men, he spoke to them as he had been instructed. What are you talking about? The brothers responded. Because here the palace manager was accusing them of taking the silver cup. And the brothers are shocked, of course. They have no idea there was even a silver cup. What are you talking about? The brothers responded. We are your servants, and we would never do such a thing. Didn't we return the money we found in our sacks? We brought it back all the way from the land of Canaan. Why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If you find this cup with any of us, let that man die. And all the rest of us, my Lord, will be your slaves. And so when the palace manager manager catches up to the brothers and they were accused of stealing the silver cup, what was the response of Joseph's brothers? He said, no way, we did not do that. And they even make a promise, right? They vowed and they said, if you find this cup with any of us, let that man be put to death. Boy, sometimes you have to be careful with your promises. Do not make harsh, do not make a rash promises. Think, you really think about what you're going to say, right? It's a good thing. The manager knows what's really happening, right? So what does he say? He says in Genesis 44, verse 10, that's fair. The man replied, but, but only the one who stole the cup will be my slave. The rest of you may go free. And so what we have here is an opportunity for Joseph's brothers to think about the situation so that they can be free. They can actually be free because only the one who has the cup is going to be a slave, right? And so they're kind of confident. We're not going to be found out. We're, we're completely innocent. And so when they did the search, because they did have a search warrant after all, what did they uncover? Genesis 44, 11 down to 12. They all quickly took their sacks from the backs of their donkeys and opened them. The palace manager searched the brother's sacks from the oldest to the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. I don't know what they were thinking of when all of a sudden they saw the silver cup from Benjamin's 
bag or sack. You know what this is? They're being tested, right? Joseph's brothers are being tested. Why? Next slide. Because it's part of the transformation process. When we fail a test, we have to take a retest. They're taking the retest right now, right? And so who was the one who set this up? It was Joseph. But we believe behind Joseph's actions and planning is who? Our almighty God. Joseph may be the one to, who has orchestrated this whole scenario, but God was the mastermind behind it all. If you, look, if you look at uh, the details of the events, next slide, you know what we find here? Joseph is giving them a chance to either repeat their past offense or else to change history. That's called a test. All of us are going to be tested like this. They have a chance to redeem themselves, right? You redeem yourself if you fail the first time by taking a retest and passing this time. They can either continue in their past practice, or they can do something different. That's what we want to do. We want to grow. We want to change. Joseph was setting up the identical situation that had taken place years before. Why? He was setting up a situation in which the brothers could return to Jacob without their younger brother. He was setting up a situation in which they might be rid of their father's favorite. All they have to do is to abandon their younger brother, and they will go free. They can take the road of betrayal or they can change and they can finally do what is right. And so the situation that happened some 20 years ago is repeating itself, right? They're taking a retest, but for them to pass the test, they have to change their ways, right? 20 years ago, what was, what was the character of the brothers? Uh, next slide, please. What characterized the brothers before? Characterized the brothers. Number one, they, was, they were self-serving. Right? They were only interested in what's good for them. They're not thinking of anyone else. Number two, they were jealous and they hated who? The favorite. Who was the favorite back then? Joseph. Because of their jealousy and hatred, they sold them to the Ishmaelites. And number three, they lacked empathy for their father. Can you imagine? That was the father's favorite. And they told him that Joseph was killed by a wild animal and though he grieved and mourned they still would not tell him the truth they lacked empathy they lacked love for their father they were not concerned for them at all so if they were to pass the test they have to find a way to resolve all of these issues and so do you think they passed the test this time what do you think i mean if joseph's brothers were still self-serving what do you think they should have done? They probably would have agreed with the palace manager, right? Well, looks like Benjamin, <laughs> you're guilty. You're going to be a slave. We're going to go back to, to Joseph, uh, to, to Jacob, our father, right? If they were so jealous and hated the favorite, all the more they'll be motivated to do that. Let's get rid of Benjamin. Finally, something good has happened to us, right? They have an excuse now to get rid of the favorite, and if they lack empathy for their father, then of course they would not even care what the father would be thinking. So they had to resolve all of these issues for them to pass the test. So do they pass the test? 
Let's find out. Genesis 44, verse 13. When the brothers saw this, they tore their clothing in despair. They were not happy. They did not want to get rid of Benjamin. What else did they do? Then they loaded their donkeys again and returned to the city. What city is that? City of Joseph. They're going to go back and meet Joseph. They don't have to, right? They can all go back to Canaan with Jacob, but they chose instead, let's return to the city together with the accused, Benjamin. What does it show us? Next slide, please. You notice they were now what? Selfless. You notice that? No longer selfish, but what? Selfless. How about their jealousy and hatred for the favorite? When they go back to the city of Joseph, Joseph was there, and what did he have to what did he say to them? Genesis 44, 14 and 15. Joseph was still in his palace when Judah and his brothers arrived, and they fell to the ground before him. What have you done? Joseph demanded. Don't you know that a man like me can predict the future? And so here's Joseph. He accuses them of what they have done. But Joseph, of course, knows that this is all a plan. This is all part of his strategy to bring them to complete repentance and transformation. So what was the reply of Judah? Let's read Genesis 44, verse 16. Judah answered, Oh, my Lord, what can we say to you? How can we explain this? How can we prove our innocence? God is punishing us for our sins. My Lord, we have all returned to be your slaves, all of us, not just our brother who had your cup in his sack. Not only did they go back to the city to face Joseph, they were all willing to become what? Slaves. Even if only one was supposed to be the slave. Who was that? Benjamin. What does this show us about the brothers? They are growing up, right? Why? Because before they sold Joseph to become a, uh, to become a slave, right? This time, they're the ones willing to become slaves for the sake of Benjamin. You see how they have been changed? and transform how about the lack of empathy for their father did they pass that test too let's go back to genesis 44 verse 17 no joseph said i would never do such a thing only the man who stole the cup will be my slave the rest of you may go back to your father in peace and so here joseph continues to test them go back all of you but who stands up to joseph next slide genesis 44 verse 18 then judah stepped forward and said, please, my Lord, let your servant say just one word to you. Please do not be angry with me, even though you are as powerful as Pharaoh himself, who stood up uh, to Joseph, pleading on Benjamin's behalf. Who was it? Judah. Judah. You notice how Judah is kind of emerging, right? Before he was nothing. Before he was a bad guy. All of a sudden, he's now emerging into becoming a a good guy, right? And so Judah steps forward, and he wants to plead on behalf of Benjamin. How does he do this? Genesis 44, 19 and 20, my Lord, previously you asked us, your servants, do you have a father or a brother? And we responded, yes, my Lord, we have a father who is an old man, and his youngest son is a child of his old age. His full brother is dead, 
and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him very much. And so when he begins to plead, plead on behalf of Benjamin, how does he begin to do that? By telling Joseph all about the father, right? Before, they, they did not care about the father at all. Now, they were thinking about the father. They were concerned about the father. And so they, he began to explain to Joseph about the situation revolving or involving the father. And so what does he say? Genesis 44, 21 to 26. And you said to us, bring him here so I can see him with my own eyes. But we said to you, my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father for his father would die. But you told us unless your youngest brother comes with you, you will never see my face again. So we, we turned to your servant, our father, and told him what you had said. Later, when he said, go back again, buy us more food, we replied, we can't go unless you let our youngest brother go with us. So we'll never get to see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. So jo uh, uh, Jake, uh, what's his name? Judah. <laughs> right. Judah is uh, telling him how difficult it was to get Benjamin from his father to convince him to finally bring him over to Joseph, that's how much the father loved uh, Joseph. And so how, what else was jo, uh, J Judah thinking about? Genesis 44, 27 to 31. Then my father said to us, as you know, my wife had two sons. One of them went away and never returned. Doubtless he was torn to pieces by some wild animal. I have never seen him since. Now, if you take his brother away from me and any harm comes to him, you will send this this grieving white-haired man to his grave. And now, my Lord, I cannot go back to my father without the boy. Our father's life is bound up in the boy's life. If he sees that boy is not with us, our father will die. We, your servants, will indeed be responsible for sending that grieving white-haired man to his grave. A guilt trip, huh? <laughs> but the focus is, the point is, they're really concerned about who? Jacob. Before, they didn't care. Now, they deeply cared about what's going to happen to him. And so what did uh, J, uh, Judah, so difficult, when all starts with the letter J, what did Judah, what does he suggest? Uh, Genesis 44, 32, 34, my Lord, I guarantee to my father that I would take care of the boy. I told him, if I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame forever. So please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish this would cause my father. What does Judah propose to uh, Joseph? He tells Joseph, look, let me stay here and be the slave. So he wants to be the substitution for who? Benjamin. Why? Because he does not want to see his father in deep anguish. And so we can conclude here. Did they pass the test? What do you think? Next slide. You see the difference before and after? Right? Before they were self-serving. Serving, now they are selfless. Before they were jealous and they hated the favorite. Now, 
they love the favorite. They're protecting the favorite. Before they lack empathy for their father, now they're so concerned about the welfare and well-being of their father, Jacob. They passed the test. Did you notice who was pleading on behalf of Benjamin? Did you notice among the brothers who transformed the most? Who was it? Judah. Kaofel <laughs> says, Judah. Yes, it is indeed Judah. You remember Judah? Do you still remember what he did? Well, let's go back to Genesis 37, next slide, 26 to 28. Judah <laughs> said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother and covering up the murder? Let's sell him to these Ishmaelites. And he was sold for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites. This was the Judah of old. But then, because of deep pain and suffering and repentance, because God did deep work in him, he has been transformed. Now, what does Judah say? Next slide, Genesis 44, 16. Remember, <laughs> Judah answered, God is punishing us for our sins. He recognizes his sins. My Lord, we have all returned to be your slaves, all of us, not just our brother. So he recognizes his sin. He can trace now their misfortune all the way back to what they have done some 20 years ago. And because of this, what does Judah say? Genesis 44, verse 33. So please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy. So he was completely transformed. This is why we can say that Judah, I want you to hear this out, is also now a type of who? Christ. Did you see that? Judah is also a type of Christ. Why? Next slide. Number one. Judah was willing to be the substitute to bear the punishment for the accused. Did Christ do that as well? Yeah. He bore our sins and was our substitute on the cross. Number two. Judah demonstrated love for the accused sinner, Benjamin. Did Christ do that? Yeah. Christ did the same thing. Christ showed his love for us sinners. He died on the cross, obedient to the Father's will. Number three, Judah was interceding. For who? For Benjamin. Did Christ, does Christ also intercede for us? Yes. Jesus Christ is the Messiah from what tribe? The tribe of? Judah. Judah. Right? This is why Christ is also called what? Revelation chapter 5 verse 5 is also called the Lion of the tribe of? Judah. And so we can see Judah was transformed by our Lord God. Throughout the scriptures, next slide, God often uses suffering to transform his people. Like who? Next slide. Judah used to be the betrayer. Now Judah becomes the ancestor of Jesus. Judah, the intercessor. Okay. What else? Next slide. Cephas used to be a coward, but he was transformed to Peter, the rock of courage. Remember Cephas? Remember that they, when the Lord Jesus Christ was arrested and someone saw Peter and said to Peter, aren't you also one of those who followed Jesus? What did Peter say? 
said, no, no, I don't know him. Three times he denied the Lord Jesus Christ. But after that, when he was transformed because of his deep suffering, he became Peter, the rock of courage. He was the one who said to the Jewish authorities, we rather obey God rather than the authority of men. We would preach in the name of Jesus, even if you're going to persecute and physically hurt us. You see how he was transformed? Not only that, but was also transformed through suffering. Next slide, please. Saul used to be the number one persecutor of the church. He became who? Apostle Paul, the number one evangelist of the church. So God uses suffering to transform his people. And because of the intercession of Judah, <coughs> Joseph was moved. And Joseph would eventually give the big revelation. However, speaking of Joseph, he of course was the ultimate type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Next slide. We're not going to go through this. We've discussed this before, right? Jesus and Joseph, there's a lot of similarities. What happened to Joseph in the Old Testament? Also, there's a, a similar event or a similar uh, context that also took place during the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we say Joseph was a type of Jesus, okay? We're not going to discuss this, but we're going to add to it. What do you mean? Let's go to Genesis 45 now. Genesis chapter 45, all right, we're in 45. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room. And so remember, this was after the speech of um, Judah, right? Judah was interceding, pleading on behalf of Benjamin. And so here's Joseph listening about his father, Joseph could not stand it any longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. So because of that speech, that moving speech from Judah, Joseph broke down, right? He had to tell the attendants, get out of this room. Leave me and these people from Canaan in the room together. And he wept so loudly, the Egyptians could hear him. What caused him to weep so loudly? What do you think it was? What was it? What caused him to weep so loudly? Because of his love, his love for his brothers. He could no longer stand it. The emotion had to be expressed. The affection had to be expressed. And so he broke down. He started weeping loudly, so loudly, the Egyptians could hear him. You know who also wept because of his love? Who like Joseph also wept because of his love and the people noticed it? Who did? <laughs> Let's read. John 11, 35, 36. Jesus wept. See how much he loved him, the people said. Deeply moved once more, Jesus went to the tomb, which was a cave with a stone place at the entrance. Take the stone away, Jesus ordered. Martha, the dead man's sister, answered, There will be a bad smell, Lord. He has been buried four days. 
Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? They took the stone away. Jesus looked up and said, I thank you, Father, that you listened to me. I know that you always listen to me, but I say this for the sake of the people here so that they will believe that you sent me. After he had said this, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. He came out, his hands and feet wrapped in grave clothes and with a cloth around his face. Untie him, Jesus told them, and let him go. Who also could not control himself, wept because of his deep affection and love. So much so, the people noticed. And because of his love, he actually did a resurrection right before their eyes. Who was that? Our Lord, Jesus Christ, who was dead for four days. Lazarus. And when he said, let's go to the tomb, check out Lazarus. What was the complaint? <laughs> he might stink because he's been dead for how many days? Four days. The body begins to rot fourth day. And begins to stink. But Christ went there. And when Christ, wherever Christ goes, there's no such thing as death. And so he called out, Lazarus, get up. And he got up. A miracle from our Lord Jesus Christ. So what was the response? And when Joseph said, you know, who he was, I wonder what they were thinking, right? If you were there, what, do you, what would you have done? What would your reaction have been? Well, let's find out what their reaction was. Let's go back to Genesis 45, verse 3. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? What could the brother say? I think their jaw kind of dropped, right? They had no idea what to say next. His brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph, assumed dead, was standing there in front of them. And so, in their amazement, they could not even speak a word, right? And what does Joseph say to them? He says, I am Joseph. Do you know of anyone else who said, I am? The one who said, I am, to his brothers? His fellow Jews, <laughs> who was that? John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. That was also an allusion to what Christ would eventually say. And so what else does, uh, what does Joseph invite them to do after he revealed that he was Joseph? Isaiah, Genesis 45, verse 4, please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. What does um, Joseph invite them to do? Come closer. Doesn't Jesus also tell us to come closer? Right? He even tells us, take up my yoke so that we can be yoked together. You cannot get any closer than that. Christ wants us to be yoked up with him. Joseph says the same thing. Come closer, but they were kind of ashamed. Why? Because they realized, wait a minute, we sold you into slavery. And all of a sudden, you're now a powerful person. So they're probably what? Afraid, right? He might act out in revenge. And so they were afraid of their brother, Joseph. 
And so what does Joseph tell them so that they would be appeased? Let's read Genesis 45, 5 down to 8. But don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years. There will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. So what does Joseph tell them so that they will not be angry with themselves and so upset? Joseph tells them this was whose plan? God's plan. But I want to ask you a question. Was it God's plan for the brothers to, to mistreat Joseph like that? That was not the plan. <laughs> what was the plan? Bring Joseph to Egypt. Why? To prepare for the famine. That was the plan. However, God used the faults. God used the mistakes that Joseph's brothers committed and caused that to work together for what? For good. So he's telling them, you know what? You messed up, but don't feel so bad for yourself because this was God's plan. God sent me to Egypt. Why? So that people can live during the days of famine. Do you know anyone else who was sent by God so that people can live? Who is that? Who was also sent by God so that people can live? John 3, 16 and 17. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And so Christ became the perfect Joseph, because not only will he give life, he will give what kind of life? Eternal life. Not just bread, not temporary life, but everlasting and eternal life. How is Christ going to do this? Isaiah 53, 3 down to 7 this was the prophecy of Isaiah concerning the crucifixion, what Christ is going to endure on the cross long before it actually happened. And so when we look at what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ, he took the sin for himself and he endured the wrath of God for himself so that people might be saved. This is why Joseph was a type of Christ. Next slide. Joseph, when you, look about, when you think about what happened to him, he had the right of vengeance, right? This is why his brothers were afraid. He had been greatly wronged by his brothers, but he does not seek the wrong to wrong them in return. In the same way, Jesus gave up his right of vengeance to become our Savior. Because when you look back at Isaiah 53, all these things they did to him, Christ did not say a word. Jesus gave up his right of vengeance to become our Savior. He was betrayed by us and for us. He did not answer evil for evil. He instead took that betrayal and that death, and he turned it for our salvation. And so what happened to Joseph mirrors what Christ would eventually do. And so after this great reveal 
What does Joseph instruct his brothers to do? Genesis 45 verse 9. Now hurry back to my father and tell him. This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master over all the land of Egypt. What does Joseph tell him to do? Go to Jacob, your father, and tell them about him. How he has become what? Master. Did Christ also give this instruction? Yeah. Book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. But you, will, but you will receive power. This is Christ speaking to his disciples before he go into heaven. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see the parallel, right? What else does Christ, uh, Joseph tell him to do? Genesis 45, verse 9. We go to the next sentence of that. So come down to me immediately. Joseph tells them to tell Jacob to come to me immediately. Does that ring a bell? Does that sound familiar? Who is the one who tells the people to come to me? Who is that? John chapter 10, verse 9. I am the gate. Those who come in by me will be saved. And so when Joseph tells them for Jacob to come to him, what promise does he make? Genesis 45, 9 to 11, you can live in the region of Goshen, or you can be near me with all your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and everything you own. I will take care of you there, for there are still five years of famine ahead of us. Otherwise, your household and all your animals will starve. And so Joseph makes a grand promise. I'm going to take care of you. I've prepared a place for you. So you don't have to be troubled. You don't have to worry about what's going to happen in the future. Does Christ also make a similar promise? Yeah. John 14, 1 down to 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. But where I am, there you may be also. So in the same way, Joseph was inviting them to be near him. Christ is telling us, you're going to be near me, especially on that day when what I'm preparing for you is already done. I'm going to come back and take you so that where I am, there you may be also. So that was a nice promise by Joseph mirrored by the promise of our Lord Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, when you have a promise like that, it's not, you don't believe it right away. And so what does Joseph say to his brothers? Genesis 45, 12 to 15. And Joseph added, look, you can see for yourselves. Apparently, the brothers were still not, re not yet believing. Does he look, Joseph? Because he's probably changed, right? I mean, uh, when he was sold, how old was he when he was sold to the Ishmaelites? 17 years old. And so now, 20 years later, he's about 40. I'm going to show you a picture of myself when I was 17 and when I'm 40. <laughs> I was going to do that, but uh, I said, no, I better, I better not do that. So I was thinking of maybe Cassesar, 2017. You, uh, because you don't look alike, right? 
So I said, I better not do that. <laughs> I chickened out. I was kind of hoping my wife would do it, but she chickened out too. So let's just imagine Joseph, right? 17, and all of a sudden you're 40. He probably changed a lot because of the custom, the weather, right? So they did not really kind of believe him. We're looking at him, looks, yeah, I can see the resemblance, but I'm not sure if that's really Joseph. So he says, you can see for yourself, and so can my brother Benjamin, that I really am Joseph. Go tell my father of my honored position here in Egypt. Describe for him everything you have seen, and then bring my father here quickly. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin. Benjamin did the same. Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. And so Joseph wept over his brothers. Who are his brothers? Jacob's sons. Who are Jacob's sons? The people of Israel. Israel is associated with what city? Jerusalem, right? And so here is Joseph. He weeps. For the people of Israel, who also wept for the people of Israel. You know who it was? Luke 19, 41 and 42. He came closer to the city. And when he saw it, he wept over it, saying, If you only knew today what is needed for peace, but now you cannot see it. It's obvious the parallelism between Joseph and Jesus is real. God was telling us something even before the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jacob's brothers, or Joseph's brothers, they have the favor of Joseph, right? And because they have the favor of Joseph, who also favored them. When the Pharaoh found out about uh, Joseph's brothers, what did he say? I wonder if he would be upset. Genesis 45, 16 and 18 the news soon reached Pharaoh's palace. Joseph's brothers have arrived. Pharaoh and his officials were all delighted to hear this. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, this is what you must do. Load your pack animals and hurry back to the land of Canaan. Then get your father and all of your families and return here to me. I will give you the very best land in Egypt. And you will eat from the best that the land produces. Was the Pharaoh upset? When he found out about Joseph's brothers? No. On the contrary, he was what? Delighted. So much so, he promised them the best land in Egypt. And so they were favored by Joseph. They were favored by Pharaoh. In fact, what does he offer them? Genesis 45, 19 to 20. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers... Take wagons from the land of Egypt to carry your little children and your wives and bring your father here. Don't worry about your personal belongings, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. What does Pharaoh tell him? I'm going to give you transfer, uh, transportation, free transportation from the king's guard, from the king's people, the Pharaoh, right? Not only that, don't bring any belongings. Why? You won't need it here. Because we're going to give you the best of all the land of Egypt. All the jewelry. <laughs> Egyptian jewelry looks nice, doesn't it? That was being promised. Can you imagine? They were being lavished by the Pharaoh. Lavished luxury. 
look at that. And I want you to look at the, the last part of that. Don't worry about your personal belongings. For the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. What does that remind you of? What does that remind you of? It's like our life here on earth, right? Where is the best land? Where? Up there, right? This is why you cannot take your personal belongings there. But you know, there's something you can take up there. Did you know that? What do you think you can take up there? In heaven. Not your Mercedes, not your cell phones, not your money. What can you bring up there? There's actually something you can bring up there. I wonder what it is. First Timothy 6, 7, and 18. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. You know, when we do good works, when we are willing to share, ready to give, do you know what we're doing? We're preparing a foundation up there. The only thing you can bring up there are your good works in Christ, Jesus. The truth is, what we keep for ourselves here on earth, we lose that forever. What we give out in good works, we keep that forever. Where? In the kingdom of heaven. I want you to keep that in mind because as people of God, we need to always think about our future. Our future is not here. Our future is where? Up there. So Pharaoh blesses Jacob and his sons. And so when the sons of Jacob go back to, goes back to uh, Canaan, what does Joseph provide them? Genesis 45, 21 to 23. So the sons of Jacob did as they were told. Joseph provided them with wagons as Pharaoh had commanded, and he gave them supplies for the journey. And he gave each of them clothes. But to Benjamin, he gave five changes of clothes and 300 pieces of silver. He really loves Benjamin. <laughs> he also sent his father 10 male donkeys loaded with the finest products of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other supplies he would need on his journey. So in the journey, which is likened to our journey, right? Because all of us are making a journey. We're all making a journey to the promised land. And so here's Joseph sending Jacob's sons to a journey. And what does he say to them? I'm going to give you all of this. Joseph gave them supplies in great abundance. We who are on a journey, does Christ also give us something? What is that? John 10, 14 and 10. I am the good shepherd, Christ says. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them rich, a rich and satisfying life. Even in this life, in our journey, Christ will supply us everything we need so that we can have a rich and satisfying life. But there's an instruction also. You see, Joseph sent them on a journey, right? Gave them all that they need, the provisions and everything else. 
but he also gave them an instruction. What is that instruction? Genesis 45, 24 to 25. So Joseph sent his brothers off, and as they left, he called after them. This is the most important part. What is it? Don't quarrel about all this along the way. And they left Egypt and returned to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. What was the instruction of Joseph to his brothers as they were along the way? He said, do not quarrel. <laughs> Does Jesus also give us a similar instruction as we go along the way? Does he? You know why Joseph tells him this? He wants, Joseph wants to show Jacob that, uh, that his sons, his sons are different people now, right? That would convince them something miraculous happened. Can you imagine? You're Jacob. You send your sons to get food. On the way back, you get not only food, you get different sons. <laughs> you, got, you got transformed sons. If Jacob sees transformed sons, not just food, what is he inclined to believe? Something must have happened, right? And so Joseph was telling them, I want you to be changed so that when you tell father about me, he will believe you, right? And so when they change their behavior, when they don't quarrel anymore, because apparently that's what they were known for, <laughs> quarreling with each other, Something must have happened. Does Christ also tell us something similar along the way as we travel from here to God's kingdom? Does, does he do that? Actually, yeah. <laughs> what is that? John 13, 34, 35. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That way, when we tell other people about Jesus, believe in Jesus because of the way we love each other, they're inclined to believe, right? Do you see the parallelism between Joseph and the Lord Jesus Christ? This is why when you look at the details of Joseph's life, it typifies what Christ is eventually going to do and then some. Jesus, the Lord, would be the perfect Joseph because of the work that he is going to do. So they go to, they finally arrive at Canaan, and they tell their father about Joseph. What does Jacob say? Genesis 45, 26 to 28. This is the last part of Genesis 45. So we're at the tail end. Joseph is still alive! Exclamation point. <laughs> right? They probably came from their camels. They run to the house. Dad, Joseph is still alive! <laughs> right? And he is governor of all the land of Egypt. Jacob was stunned at the news. He couldn't. Sometimes if it's too good to be true, you tend not to believe it. You can believe it. Which is a natural response, right? But when they repeated to Jacob everything Jesus had told them, and when he saw the wagons Joseph had sent to carry him, their father's spirits revived. Something is going on. 
I got to look more about, look more into this. Then Jacob explained, it must be true. My son Joseph is alive. I must go and see him before I die. I want you to look at this last part of Genesis 45. Do you see Christ in there? We're seeing Christ all the way in chapter 45, right? Do you see Christ right there? Do you see the parallelism? In at least four instances, we see Christ. Next slide. Joseph and Jesus in Genesis 45, 26, 28. Number one, it said there Joseph is still alive. Number two, Joseph is governor of all of Egypt. Number three, Jacob couldn't believe Joseph was alive. Number four, Jacob said, I must go and see him while, I, while I'm still alive before I die. Right? You see a, a parallel between this and Christ's life? You see? For example, number one, Joseph is still alive. Next slide. Matthew 28, verse 6. Joseph, uh, Jesus has risen. He was resurrected. Number two, Joseph is governor of all of Egypt. Number two, all authority in heaven and on earth was given to Christ. Matthew 28, verse 18. Number three, Jacob couldn't believe Joseph was alive. Number three, some did not believe that Jesus was alive, that he resurrected, including who? Thomas, remember? Doubting Thomas. I will not believe that Jesus is alive unless I can place my hand into his wounds. Right? Couldn't believe. Number four, Jacob said, I must go and see him while I'm still alive. Number four, those who go to Jesus will live even after dying. John 6, verse 25. So in so many ways, Joseph was a type of Christ. So in our study today, Genesis 44, Genesis 45. What we have learned is this. Next slide, please. Jesus is the perfect Judah and the perfect Joseph. Judah would take the role of intercessor. Joseph would take the role of savior. Intercessor, savior. Who took that and elevated it to a perfect level. Who was that? Our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why the Apostle John tells us the following. 1 John chapter 2, 1 down to 2. I am writing this to you, my children, so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have someone who pleads with the Father on our behalf. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And Christ himself is the means by which our sins are forgiven. Not our sins only, but also the sins of everyone. Remember Judah, when he was pleading on behalf of Benjamin, right? Let me be the one to be punished, not him. Christ is doing the same thing for us. All of us have sinned, and we continue to sin, but we have someone who pleads for us. Jake, uh, Judah, he was successful. He was effective. And the way he interceded on behalf of his brother. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who can perfectly be our advocate. Why? Because he died for us. Judah merely offered to die, but he actually did not. But Jesus 
died and suffered for us. That's why he's the perfect Judah, the perfect intercessor. Joseph, because of him, we, the people during that time were saved from famine, right? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect Joseph. What will he bring us? Let's read the final passage of our studies, Revelation 21, 2 down to 4. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared and ready like a bride dressed to meet her husband. I heard a loud voice speaking from the throne. Now God's home is with people. He will live with them. They shall be his people. God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away all tears from their eyes. There will be no more death. No more grief or crying or pain. The old things have disappeared. Lord Jesus Christ can do something that Joseph could not. Joseph can only provide relief from famine. Christ can provide relief from all of our plagues. Death, suffering, sadness. In fact, because of Christ, the Bible says God will wipe away what? All of our tears. What Joseph could do at a limited level, Christ is able to do at an infinitely better and higher level because he's going to take us into the holy city that is being prepared like a bride dressed to meet her husband. And this is why, brothers and sisters, let us find hope, let us find inspiration. In the stories of the Holy Scriptures. Because they point to our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is perfect in every way. And who is on our side. That is our lesson for tonight. Let us all stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father. Thank you so much. For revealing your plan. We can see. How you have prepared. For everything that happens in our life. We are inspired to remember when things become difficult for us to look up to you and to ask for your purpose. You are indeed able to cause all things in our life, including painful moments and sufferings, adverse conditions, and cause them to work together for good. You have done this in so many ways in the lives of so many people. And so we who belong to you, Father, we take refuge in you. Yes. May you do the same for everyone here, yes. for all those listening to your holy words. Father, have mercy upon us. Bless us with more faith and strength. And please forgive all our sins. Our Lord Jesus Christ, indeed you are perfect in every way. You are God's plan. The logos from before the creation of the universe come to be fulfilled during our life. Thank you for your sacrifice. We will look up to you that our faith will be perfected. Lord, we need your help. Never please forsake us. We know that you weep for your servants when we go through difficult moments in our life. We know your purpose, O oh Lord. You want to transform us. You want us to become like you. And so we will never give up. We will follow you wherever you may lead us. Thank you, O Father, for your blessings. Continue to heal those who were afflicted with any disease. Bless us with long life. 
bless us with courage, O God, that we can proclaim always to everyone the good news about your Messiah. We believe, Father, that you have listened to our prayers. We ask and beg all things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.